So Jesse, with the the outreach director for the rescue project at the Phoenix Dream Center, uh, we talked about law enforcement. In your view, agencies and the courts are they sufficiently meeting the civil or institutional expectations for criminal law enforcement and o- oversight? Otherwise, what may be the systemic or statutory challenges that could prevent local institutions such as yours, the Phoenix Dream Center, for example, from functioning effectively or appropriately? Who's in the way? Can I kind of say it? No. <laughs> well, I mean, you did say these, 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 these. The, the code, the code tends to protect um, um, uh, the criminals, and I, I think as as we our generation grows and learns, understands better the application of the rule of law, we find where there's a historical precedent of you know we've inherited a bias when the door was shut for the legacy inheritors, which is me and you. They left it cracked in a certain way so all the rats could run amok. Well, that's not right. right. So, so it, it, it's, it's the approach, it, and this is just my opinion, you know, our right to, to freedom of speech. I love law enforcement. They're doing a great job. They do their job well. It's well, me too. It's just that... Back to black. That, you know, they, they, as it was put to me by a friend, um, you know, the women that are victims are treated like the enemy. They're not the enemy. That, that we would get more done if we would work together and collaborate together with the victims um, to actually to get the enemy. And it's, oh, it's just so, I'm so frustrated. I'm so frustrated with how the, you know, the law enforcement may approach the women as far as treating treating them like criminals so be careful as law enforcement we because look public of we are the government okay i always say you know we shouldn't personify the state law enforcement is you and me in a system where the you know these government agencies are only valid and effect in place insofar as we staff them it's it's not you and me it's people like you and me who are in those positions so we would do well as teachers and administrators and law enforcement officers and firefighters and street sweepers and the like journalists and faith-based volunteers and community advocates we do well that we we're preaching to ourselves here in a sense you have to remember not to 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 that's why that's why the role of a peace officer is so critical because you hold that future in your hands when you're when you're when you're doing what you're doing a few words you can say during that traumatic incident for for whoever you happen to be involved with at the time could have will have you know very likely have lasting effect on the forward trajectory of your of your subject whether they're going to jail or whether they're going to a halfway house um what about what about when like for me like if i'm talking to say an at-risk young woman um I, I I come across like a book and I sometimes I feel like I alienate people because I, you know, I'm, um, you know, I've, I sit around basically in my home, which is kind of like a library and I just cram, you know, I just study. I mean, I never stop. I mean, my, this is a house of learning and I, and, and I also, I feel like sometimes I might come across as sort of holier than thou. I mean, how do we deal? Do you do just make friends and just kind of, cohabitate in the community with these people and always be there for them. And how, and how can we do that yet still be aggressive and trying to get the message out that like, Hey, you know, one of the things you probably shouldn't be doing is drinking Mickey's in the front yard, you know, that sort of thing. Like, so and that brings on a whole nother, but how do, how do we, how do citizens cohabitate in the community and, and still find peace and, 
yet try to help, yet be aggressive at the same time. What do you do? I would say, and you hit it right on the nail, we are law enforcement. We have the ability, we have the authority to change the laws. We have the ability to make a difference in our community. And how we can make a difference is the same exact thing, not treating them like they're criminals. If they are breaking the law, whether they're a pimp or a prostitute or a child druggie, whatever the case may be, we must have the courage to look them directly in the eyes. That's the biggest thing. And find out what their needs are. Um, You know, if they they need to get into a program, um, it's outreach. It's finding out what their needs are, what can we do to cohabitate together and eventually, you know, from the inside, shut the business down, uh, so to speak. So maybe find out, like, I mean, like, okay, where, where somebody's being pinched for something, like whether it's how they pay their rent or to get the groceries. I mean, the pressure points are kind of similar. Find out, I find that I get taken advantage of because I try to treat, I try to treat everyone, be mindful, you know, hey, okay, this is somebody's baby, okay? Somebody loves this person. And if they don't, then I could because I have a child. So I can use my empathy to apply it. And when I generate that kind of kindness, and I also do like fraud investigations for historically frequently. I, I get taken advantage of. And that's where you want to actually, you know, kind of guard your heart, as the word says. There are resources available. They have options now. That's, you know, kind of the role of the Phoenix Dream Center is to um, to provide resources and options. It's no longer, we no longer as a community have to look away and say, oh, you know, they're kind of on their own. I feel sorry for them. I wish them the best of luck. It's going up to them, being bold and saying, hey, you know, I kind of saw this going on. You know, you know, you have options to get out of it if you want. We as a community just sow the seed. We say a kind word and, and we leave it at that because I can tell you right now, that they think that they're forgotten. The mm. victims think that they're forgotten. The pimps think that the, the police aren't going to do anything to, uh, to them because they have the upper hand or whatever the case may be. But if we have the courage, and you know that from being out on the outreach, because we talk to the prostitutes and the pimps. Mm. We offer them a bottle of water. We're non-threatening when we go up to them, and, and we have the ability now to help them transition out of the industry to get them the, the help that they need, if that's so their desire. If they don't want to get out of the industry, they want to continue to break the law, then, again, that's their empowerment. That's their choice. But we gave them an option. We acknowledge them as a human being by being kind to them, outreaching to them, and letting them know that, that, we, that we understand. We might not understand where they're at, but we understand that, there are, that they have options. They have resources now where we didn't have that like a year ago. Sure, and, and I have to say, and there are a lot of problems you know, in any institution's you know, systems, but I mean, I've seen jails work, <laughs> you know, yeah. and if, if, even if they, if the girls do go to jail or the pimps, you know, with the proper, with, if their case is in the proper custody and it's properly monitored and there are, there are lateral egresses there with from third party organizations who specialize because the actual bench typically, you know, a career judge. And that's another argument. And a you know, and a career prosecutor, and that's another problem systemically. But come across those, and they're not necessarily experts. Um, but 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 people can get help, 
I mean, people will work with you even if you have to go to the TD, I'm sorry, the ADC for, for a year. Or if you have to go sit and count, I mean, there's still, it's better than being, you know, being exposed to more cocaine and heroin. And that stuff needs to not be in the jails, uh, to state the obvious. Um, but you mentioned the Dream Center. This is a good time to put the question. Talk about the Dream Center and the Rescue Project and their roles in the greater Metro Phoenix and and uh, uh, throughout the southwestern United States. And and uh, uh, Katrin's not here. She was she's the executive director of the Chicago based um, Phoenix Dream Center. Uh, they're everywhere. Uh, she's also involved with the Skyway Railroad. So your organization, what is it? How does it fit? give us give us that? You have the floor. The Phoenix Dream Center was established in 2005. It was, it, it, it's mainly designed for outreach. It's to outreach and better the community that it's in. We originally started with just the homeless taking in, um, you know, people that were, that were basically like homeless or they were, had just come out of incarceration. In 2009, the Rescue Project, which was started by Brian and Sky Steele, um, was it was designed to help heal uh, victims rescued or that were involved with human sex trafficking or commercial exploitation. The it's now called Where Hope Lives. The program transferred from the Rescue Project to Where Hope Lives. Um, we there are 16 rooms, 34 beds. They deal both with um, uh, trafficked victims as well as um, at-risk pregnancy, the pregnancy crisis. Part of it because 33% of the women that were being exploited coming into the Dream Center were pregnant. So we integrated the pregnancy crisis into um, our trafficking recovery program. And then what we found was, you know, at times the, 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 the person that's trying to recover, the recovering client, um, was in danger being in Phoenix, like her pimp would find out where she was at. So we developed an underground railroad called Skyways, or if you rescue her, my team and I, we rescue them directly out of the brothel or, or um, ring, trafficking ring that they're in. And, again, they're not safe in our city. We can send them um, under the underground railroad. There are currently five other dream centers. I won't disclose locations for the protection of these women. Um, that we can send them, and they can recover in a very similar program uh, to the Phoenix Dream Center. What upset me about a year and a half ago when I became the Trafficking Outreach Director was there was no centralized rescue um, or awareness program in Phoenix. It was all kind of um, separated. There was no unity, no collaboration within the different programs. So I reconstructed the outreach for the Phoenix Dream Center to be just that we outreach to all traffic, uh, sexual exploited victims in uh, around the Phoenix metro area. I mean, all the way out, you know, to Tucson and and any of the, the outlining areas. Uh, we train um, young people. We have a, a youth outreach or at risk young people that, that that are preyed on by pimps and madams to go into. Um, prostitution. We try to get to them and, and identify what uh, coercion looks like. I have a lot of college students that come in my outreach, and I train them what recruitment looks like. I've had several of my, you know, my volunteers that are under the age of 30, come, women, come back and tell me how they were recruited 
attempted to be recruited by either a young pimp or a boss pimp, and because they knew what to say and how to get out of it, they were not, you know, they, were, they didn't fall into their traps, so to speak. So, and then we also service sex offenders and John, um, sex addicts. We have support groups for them on the third and first and third Tuesday. Um, any man, I'm working on a co-ed one, one for women, um, that have issues in purchasing um, sex acts or need prostitutes, you know, whatever type of, of uh, sex addiction that they may have, we now have accountability groups where they can come and freely and confidently, confidentially disclose, you know, those, those dark um, addictions that are in their heart, uh, as well as helping sex offenders, both young and um, older ones that have uh, already been convicted, helping them maintain a normal lifestyle. And, a lot, you know, when they come out of prison, 50% of sex offenders end up homeless because they can't find a job, um, and, and they, they, just, they kind of just reoffend because they don't have any accountability piece. So the Phoenix Dream Center has literally become a, a beacon of hope, is, is what we like to call it, the Phoenix Dream Center, for trafficking resolution. We have a trafficking resolution team at the Phoenix Dream Center. We have a men's ministry, a youth ministry, a commercial exploitation, traffic exploitation. We have uh, prevention centers so that victims or victims that, that transfer and transform into survivors once you're once you come in and you've you've recovered and you've gone through a healing process, you are no longer a victim. You are a survivor of human sex trafficking or commercial exploitation. We keep tabs on them. We help them get you know whatever whatever causes them to reoffend to go back into the lifestyle. We maintain them as well. So the Phoenix Dream Center again has just become that beacon of hope for the city of Phoenix and the Maricopa County as a opportunity. To um, to resolve the issue, it, it's a, it's a it's a pilot program. We're starting it in Phoenix. Um, the Chicago Dream Center mirrors a lot of what we do. I know the LA Dream Center. Uh, you know, there's there's more than one Dream Center that do, does what we do, but we all want to be able to do the same thing. We all want to have traffic res- resolution teams in each city so that we can attack this nationally. And then I have a friend who is. Uh, she does it globally, um, Miramar, Thailand, I think is what she's working on. And then I have friends in the Philippines as well who want to take this type of program and do it internationally. So it's, it's a global resolution team. So yeah. that's kind of the Phoenix Dream Center's role as far as trafficking is concerned. Well, and, you know, there is a place for, for people. I mean, it's important that, you know, people who are at risk are in the game get into recovery as soon as possible so they can begin their path to healing. The human body and the human mind, the soul is an amazingly resilient thing. Um, and you know, that's how we build our army and we need people who like this, no one best understands, uh, than someone who's seen and been down there and see, and you know, in the trenches, so to speak, to help, uh, stem the, dark wave that continues to draw children and women and men and whoever into its undertow. Um, it's, it's a dead hand and, and the cause needs all the help it can get. And I appreciate the, the globally networked nature of the dream center because, you know, in, in trying to, you know, interdict, you know, prevent, you know, get in the way of and 
turn stem the tide of such a such a sociological thing. It's not as if we don't have the technological and intellectual hegemony to do so, uh, but this sort of of uh, a community vigilance and, and community action really starts with I mean intelligence. People pay attention. What's going on in your own community? Because that's uh, you know that's that's how you know and you start you start paying attention, then there is more accountability. Um, um, so it, it and 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 even if it seems like wow, I'm in Greater Phoenix and there's millions of people everywhere, what little difference can I make? We can make a lot of difference because you know every little every little piece counts and logistically. Um, you know, you can make one little tiny ripple and it affects the entire global trade. And if it doesn't actually reduce the number, it will nevertheless still affect the cause because there's, you know, one tiny little bit of information can uncover all sorts of helpful uh, buried stuff that otherwise, you know, is, is operating right in blind alleys. So everybody can help just by paying attention just for starters a great deal. Um I agree. And I think the other piece of it, too, is where the community once felt helpless and what do I do, what do I do, that's no longer the case. Everybody can get involved, Mm. whether you're on the outreaches with me so you can see what it's like to be recruited or what these girls go through, the the economic devastation that they're in, or if you want to volunteer uh, to be a mentor in the, the, the outreach uh, mentorship program to the men. You want to be a mentor in the men's ministry. You, like I, I mean, there, or you just want to work with law enforcement on, on being able to identify and locate these fossils and where the tracks are and where the girls are at because they move them. We, I mean, you and I have been doing this for over a year, and we very rarely see the same girls when we're out there. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's important that where we as a community once felt helpless and didn't know how to get involved, that we can now get involved. And they can, you know, your your listeners can contact you. In the sixth or seventh months that I've lived in this apartment building, I have seen three different girls come and go with the exact same tattoos and, and all soliciting. <laughs> 